0: Welcome to Envision Community Church's Ridiculous Love Podcast. Whether you attend our Longmont-based services or tune in online, we're so glad that you're here as part of our funky and fully affirming church today. We begin each of our podcasts just as we begin each of our services with our ethos. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ plus and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. If you'd like to financially contribute to our church and our partners, you can text any amount to 84321. And now, on to this week's sermon просто
1: Today we're continuing the second in our series on Bible stories for grown-ups. And I was talking about it a couple of weeks ago. We've had, over the last 2,000 years, four major shifts in the Western world. The Western world is the world that we inhabit. It is Europe, the United States. And the Western world began as the Western world with the arrival of Jesus. So that's what started it 2,000 years ago. 500 years later... There's the first major paradigm shift as many different strands of Christianity come together under the control of one church, the Roman Catholic Church. It's about the 6th century when Pope Gregory is the very first recognized pope, major paradigm shift, a major shift 500 years after that. That was what we call the Great Schism. That's when the Eastern Church and the Western Church split. The Orthodox Church took off one direction, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Kopt, church in egypt and roman catholicism in the other direction that was in 1054 we come to around 1500 and there's another major shift this was the reformation it's where protestantism came into being but this shift was far more significant than the two previous ones because it was accompanied by a major cultural paradigm shift as well It was the shift that began with the Renaissance, that ended with the Enlightenment, and it was the shift that took the focus of our civilization off of God and put it on science, That was a massive shift the likes of which we had not seen in 1,500 years. Virtually all of Western civilization, civilization, all art, all music, all culture, all government was focused on Jesus until roughly 1,500 when the focus shifted from Jesus to science And the church didn't like that, and the church was feeling left out, and so the church decided to also shift its focus to science, and it decided the Bible was a scientific text focused on facts, which was not a real good decision, For the church because if you're going to do that well then you're going to have to believe a number of really rather ridiculous things You're going to have to believe the world was created in seven 24 hour days You're going to have to believe that adam and eve were in fact Literal figures who were the first man and the first woman You're going to have to believe the earth is only six thousand years old And their definition is it only looks much older because god is testing us You're going to have to believe that Noah actually put two of every animal on an ark and saved the world because a seven-day flood, seven days of nonstop rain was enough to create a flood over the entire earth. You have to believe all these things if in fact you're going to make the Bible a book of science. It was never intended to be a book of science. It's a book of myth, Now, myth often is historically true because something is a myth doesn't mean it's not true. A myth is that which explains a major shift or a major change in society. A myth is a great big story that explains how we understand life. And so today, we move on to the story of Abraham and Isaac, which is in fact a very, powerful myth, because it's another major shift in the history of mankind. So the story goes, in the book of Genesis, that in the area of Ur of Chaldees, there were in fact many, many people who worshipped many, many gods, and the gods were all angry and it's understandable that the gods were angry because bad things happen and people die. And the people were looking for a reason that bad things happen and people die. And it had to be angry gods. And so there were many, many angry gods. And there were multiple gods. Lots of multiple gods until about 2,000 years before the time of Christ. And here's the first mythological change that happens with Abraham. The God of the Hebrew people says, I am the God. This is the shift from many gods to monotheism. It's about 2,000 years before the time of Christ that this occurs. And the way the people of Israel define it, God has gone to Abraham, has said, leave Ur Chaldees. come with all of your people to my land to follow me, and I will bless all of you. I will bless you with a world of people who will follow after you. And so he and his wife, Sarah, were pretty excited about that because they were childless, and they continued to be childless. And finally, Sarah's a little bit, you know, frustrated with this, and so she says... To her husband Abraham, um, why don't you sleep with that slave girl, Hagar, and have a child so we can raise that child as our own? And so that's exactly what he does. He sleeps with Hagar. She has a child, the son of Abraham, Ishmael. And Abraham and Sarah raise Ishmael as their own and then Sarah in her old age gets pregnant and she has a son and his name is Isaac and now she decides the whole thing with Ishmael was not a good idea. And so she goes to Abraham and says, "Send Hagar away, send Ishmael away. I never want to see them ever again." And it's exactly what he does. They go far away. There's a wonderful book that a good friend of mine has written, Nikki Grimes, called "Dark Suns," that tells the story of Hagar and Ishmael. In fact, it's such a beautiful story that Barack Obama chose Nikki to write the child, um, the children's book uh, of the of his biography. But it's a it's a wonderful book if you want it. "Dark Suns," Nikki Grimes. So. They're off in one world, totally separate, and the line of Ishmael eventually leads to Muhammad, which leads to Islam, which is 1.6 billion people. Now, the line of Isaac leads to the people of Israel, leads to Jesus, leads to Christianity, which is 2.2 billion people. So sure enough, God blessed Abraham, with 3.8 million heirs, so to speak, plus the 14 million Jews that are still in the world, it was in fact a blessing. So that was one aspect of Abraham's arrival. It was a mythological change from many gods to one God. The second was a more significant change. And the story is told in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. Hmm. This is after Ishmael is born. This is definitely negating the fact that Ishmael existed. So, how could The passage, say, your son, your only son. You know, there are a lot of things in the Hebrew scriptures where the Hebrew scriptures don't speak the truth as the people of Israel understood it. And so they actually had a way of working through all that. It was called Midrash. And the Jewish leaders over the decades, over the centuries, would come together in Midrash to help understand these stories because they knew the stories were not technically always accurate. It was definitely not accurate that Abraham only had one son, one only son. There were at least two. Ishmael was the other. And through Midrash, they focused on the fact that this was the story only of Israel, and there was only one child that continued on the history of Israel. And so the scripture says, take your son, your only son, and go with your servants to a mountain I will show you, and there you will sacrifice your son. And so he gathers together three of his servants, and his son Isaac brings together three children Day's trip worth of food clothing everything they need wood for the fire they make their way to the bottom of the mountain and then Abraham says to the three you stay here we will return and he goes with his son to the top of the mountain his son Isaac says where is the lamb we will be sacrificing and Abraham says God will provide and they get to the top of the mountain and Abraham binds Isaac. In fact, this passage is called The Binding of Isaac. He binds Isaac to an altar, puts wood under the altar, sharpens his knife, and prepares to sacrifice his son as he has been asked to do. And at the last second, God says, do not do that. Over there in the thicket is a ram. I want you to sacrifice the ram instead. Now, what you hear people say all the time in the conservative Christian world is this was a test for the faithfulness of Abraham. And because Abraham was faithful, God provided the ram. And it also was a foretelling of the fact that God would in fact sacrifice his own son, that he would kill his own son as a sin offering to others. That's that teaching. Only that's not what it was. Do people believe that? You bet they do. When I came out as transgender, my parents disowned me and thought that they were in fact doing the right thing. My mother in fact used the example of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. The faithfulness of God demands that I do this. I was fortunately well enough along in years to know not even to go to try to argue with her over that one. I have a sister-in-law who has not spoken to her gay son in 25 years. You say, could people still believe that? Yeah, people still believe that that sacrificing one's child functionally is all right. That's not what was happening here. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons we know that. The first is, Isaac was 35 years old. Abraham was very, very old. So Isaac was going to have to participate in this because he had every ability to say to his father, yeah, actually, no, I think we'll sacrifice you instead and would have in fact been able to do that. But he's in on it from the beginning. What this is, is a myth they both know is to take place, to signify a major paradigm shift in their understanding. The first myth of the story of Abraham is moving from many gods to one God, the God of Israel, and the second, is moving from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. Human sacrifice has been going on for 5,000 years. Again, these gods are angry. Bad things happen. We're going to have to sacrifice some humans so that we can appease the angry gods. And now, with the arrival of Abraham, roughly 2,000 years, 1,900 years before the time of Christ, This is when we see the end of human sacrifice and this is the story that marks the end of human sacrifice. So it all was a ritual drama that was taking place. Abraham knew it was taking place. Isaac knew it was taking place. They were in fact Living out this shift that had been going on for 3,000 years, roughly 5,000 years before the time of Christ in Egypt, is when we know human sacrifices started. And now, 3,000 years later, with this story, we find out that they are ending. Human sacrifice is ending, and that's what this story is telling us. And animal sacrifice becomes the major way in which people appease an angry God. And then 2,000 years after that Jesus comes with another major paradigm shift to say no longer is animal sacrifice necessary in fact no sacrifice is necessary God loves you just as you are you don't need to make any changes for God to love you you don't need to make any sacrifices for God to love you God loves you just as you are and for teaching that he gets killed He's not a blood sacrifice to atone for our sin. He's killed because he's been teaching the truth that God loves us just as we are. It was, in fact, a major paradigm shift yet again. So we go from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice with a story from Genesis 22, from animal sacrifice to no sacrifice with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus but with living out the message of Jesus to love God, love neighbor, love self. Now, we right now are also in the midst of a massive paradigm shift. So when Abraham arrives, there are two shifts taking place, from many gods to one God, from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. And we see many shifts taking place right now. As big a paradigm shift Probably, as we saw 500 years ago when we went from the 1,500 years of the Christian age to the modern age from worshiping Jesus to the culture on the whole, worshiping science. And like I explained two weeks ago, and we'll be talking about this again next week, so I want to bring the continuity in tonight. When we see a major paradigm shift in any civilization, it goes through five stages. The first is philosophy. The second is the arts. The third is science. The fourth is the population at large. And the fifth is religion. So philosophy begins a major paradigm shift. Religion ends a major paradigm shift. And usually there's a couple hundred years that takes place in between this shift. So if we look at the end of the modern age and into what we now call the postmodern age which by the way 500 years from now will not be called postmodern we call it postmodern because we don't know what else to call it basically it's after modern we know it's not modern anymore so it's post after modern but if we take a look at that we see philosophically At the end of the modern age, you have the existentialist philosophers who would be Sartre, uh, Camus, um, Jacques Maritain. And then your first postmodern philosophers, very different perspective, Derrida, Foucault, Richard Rorty. Then you move into the arts. The artistic differences in the arts themselves, you look at late modern age, that's Picasso, that's Jackson Pollock, The first postmodern artists would be Jacques Lacan and Andy Warhol. Then you take a look at classical music. Late classical music modern age would be Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Prokofiev. Early postmodern classical music would be John Cage and um, probably Philip Glass, though some might disagree about that. Then you go with the Academy. So in the scientific world the major shift in the latter part of the modern age was quantum physics, the arrival of quantum physics. The understanding that the core building blocks of the universe are not made of matter, but are made of relationships, a pattern of relationships between non-material entities. So in the scientific world quantum discovery is the end of the modern age, the beginning of the postmodern age. Some of you were surprised when I said this two weeks ago. The beginning of the postmodern age, we see scientifically in an AI. And that's where we recognize AI is something we do not know how to handle as a species. And it's going to be a massive, massive shift scientifically. So then if you look at the culture at large, I said the best way to look at culture at large shift in our time is to look at Broadway, what's happening in Broadway. Late modern age, Les Miserables. That is, in fact, a French novel that turns into a Broadway show that has the ending you expect. The good person dies, but all is well, all loose ends are tied up. That is a modern age music off. And then you come to the line between modernism and postmodernism, and Rent would be the musical. And in Rent, not everything is tied up nicely, but it still has a modern age feel. It is kind of in between modern age and postmodern. And then we come to the postmodern musical, and what is it? Hamilton. And how does Hamilton end? You remember? Any of you who've been? Oh, maybe I shouldn't spoil it for all of you there is no glorious triumphant ending in Hamilton. It is, in fact, the lights go out. The story comes to a stop. It is, in fact, from a modern-age perspective, not very satisfying, but very postmodern. And then we take a look at religion, the last area, and what is the end of the modern age with Christianity? It is the megachurch. And what is the first expression of postmodern Christianity? Oh, you're sitting in the middle of it. This is what postmodern Christianity is going to look like. Those of us who've been in ministry for decades, we really don't know what's happening now or what's coming next. What I see developing here is a tight community of people who want to figure out the meaning of life together and want to follow the way of Jesus to love God, love neighbor, and love self. That is the postmodern message. So we are in the midst of a major shift, just as Abraham and Isaac were in the midst of a major shift. And God provided for them, and God will provide for us. So we also personally go through major shifts. All of us will go through significant shifts in our lives, usually about five. We could talk about that sometime if you like. And all of them have the same sequence. First, there is a letting go. You let go of a job, you let go of a relationship, you let go of a place that you have lived, you let go of a religion. There is a letting go that is painful, that is difficult, And that letting go must be followed by a liminal space, by a time when you are getting ready for that which is to come, but which has not yet arrived. And in the letting go, it's pretty important to memorialize that which you are letting go of. My family and I realized one of the biggest mistakes we made, I definitely made in transitioning, was not memorializing Paul. None of us were able to say goodbye to Pa. And that was something important for us to do, because I am fundamentally a different person than I was then. I was adamantly focused on the continuity of life as Pa. But my family did not experience that continuity. They experienced discontinuity. We needed to have memorialized that. You need to memorialize every time you step away from something. Maybe it's nothing more than a prayer. Maybe it's nothing more than burning a candle and saying a prayer. But when you leave a relationship, when you leave a friendship, when you leave a job, when you leave a house, when you leave a community, when you leave a career, it is important to memorialize that and to grieve that loss. And it's also important not to jump into the next thing, but to remain in the liminal space for a period of time. And for me, after being kicked out of the church, for 18 months, I chose to stay out of religious community because I needed that space. I could not believe the way I had been treated by the religious community. And I needed to be in that liminal space. And you need to allow yourself that. Whatever it is that is a transition time for you, don't rush through it. Allow yourself to stay in that liminal space of in-between. And your heart will tell you when it's time to move into a new job, a new community, a new religion, a new church, a new relationship. Your body, your being will tell you when it's time to move on in that paradigm shift within your own life. In my case, I went to Highlands Church in the summer of 2015, 18 months after coming out. I sobbed the entire service. Out loud, the really ugly cry. I didn't want to leave. I just stayed and cried. And that, for me, was the shift. And within a month, I was preaching. And within three months, I was on their preaching team. And within two years, I was starting a church in Longmont. So for all of us, there are multiple shifts that take place in our own life. Every one of them. As important as the shift that Abraham and Isaac went through. I love, I think my favorite poem is David White's um, Sweet Darkness, because it defines all three of the things we're talking about here. It goes like this. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. That's the letting go. That is the stepping out of what you know is over, is done, is gone. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision is gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark, where the night has eyes to recognize its own. Time to let go. And then the next part is, there you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your home tonight. So the first time I heard him say this poem, I thought he said womb, W-O-M-B, and I actually like that better. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see, because you can see further at night than you can see in the daytime. That is in fact that liminal space, that letting go that we have to go through. The dark will be your home tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. And then moving into the new space, you must learn one thing. This is coming into the new space. This is out of the liminal space. The world was made to be free in. You must give up all the worlds to which you do not belong. You must give up all other worlds except the one to which you belong. And then he says, sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone, the key to moving into the new space, anything or anyone, anything or anyone that does not, that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. God, thank you for the passages. We all go through them. Thank you for giving us a guide. A guide of the Hebrew scriptures and the story of Jesus guides who are older than us, who've been through the stages, who can say to us, Ah, yes, you were in a good place, though painful. Thank you, God, for giving us the rich reality of your presence through all of the shifts and changes in our lives.
0: Amen. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. To learn more, go to envisioncommunitychurch.org or facebook.com forward slash envisioncommunitychurch. Thank you for joining us.